Hey, we are uh, we're in First Corinthians, and I believe we've gotten to through chapter four down to verse seventeen. Does that sound right to everybody? Okay, well, let's just take a second, have a word of prayer as we get ready to dig in. You guys know the microphone runners are there. Questions are free game. If I don't like your question, I'll just refuse to answer it. <laughs> let's pray real quick. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, would you just meet with us here? Would you honor the fact that we've taken a night out of our schedule to come and to dig into your word? And so would you bless us by understanding? Would you help us to see you more clearly, to live for you more profoundly in our lives because of this time that we've set aside? And that, God, we just, we just might be true students of the word. Help me, as I teach tonight, to say exactly what your word says and not to put myself in, but instead to reveal you. And uh, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, And if you remember, just to kind of give us a little bit of background, uh, Paul has been finishing up here uh, saying, look, you, you guys somehow have decided that you are so scholarly, so amazingly far in your Christian life that it's okay for you to judge the ministers who are serving in your life and to decide this one's better than that one and that one is better than this one. And Paul has really given them a hard time over that. And he finally concludes it with just saying, look, just do this. Just follow me the way I follow Jesus. We'll all be okay. Remember that? And now here's verse 17. For this reason, I am sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Who's Timothy? Anybody know? Huh? Who's Timothy? It's his uh, protege. It's a yeah. pastor that he's training that's following after Paul. Yeah, he's a young preacher boy uh, that's been going around with Paul. Uh, Timothy ends up finally being the pastor of which church? Anybody know? Yeah, he ends up eventually landing in Ephesus as the pastor of Ephesus. He, starts, he stops traveling with Paul and actually lands as the full-time pastor In the church of Ephesus. Okay, for this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, uh, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of, of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. What what why do you think he's sending Timothy? Why why do you think he's doing that? Isn't that interesting? All right, let me read a little more and see if you can get the sense of maybe why he sent this young preacher boy on ahead. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, or in love, and with a gentle spirit? Why do you think he's sending Timothy? It's an interesting moment. Okay, so microphones. Put the hands. If you've got hands, put them up high because we're slightly blind. I don't think he wanted to bring the whip. Okay, he's giving them a... He, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think Paul wants to bring the whip. Uh, he's willing to bring the whip, but he doesn't necessarily want to bring the whip. So he's sending Timothy on ahead to say, look, Timothy's going to come. Timothy's going to work with you to get some of this stuff straightened out and have you stop acting silly. And you're going to have a chance to do that because if I get there and you're still acting silly, then we're going to have a whole different kind of talk. 
But if I can come there and you guys have straightened up on your own, then I'm a happy man. I'm okay, and we won't have to have the hard talks. Isn't that interesting? You ever done that with your kids? You, you, you wives have done that. Wait till your dad gets home. Right? You can either straighten up now, or if you keep this up when your dad gets home. Right? So Timothy's going on ahead, and if Timothy can straighten you out, then we're all right. But if not, then wait till dad comes. And that's when Paul's going to come and be part of that church. Yep. Is it also to show them that it's possible to imitate him, but to be still be their own people? Because it's a, it, it follows for this reason after he told them to imitate himself. Here's what I think potentially. It's a great question. He says, for this reason. But if you, go, if you go back, look at the passage. He says, for this reason I'm sending Timothy to you, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And then here's what he says Timothy will do. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. And I think what he's saying is, look, some of you in the process of saying, hey, I like Paul or I like Apollos or I like Peter. What, what, what do little boys do when they're talking about their dads? My dad's bigger than your dad. No, my dad's bigger. Well, your, your, your dad, your dad smelly. No, your dad, you know, and you start cutting down the other kid's dad. Well, what do you think these guys in Corinth have done is they've been arguing, oh, no, 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 Apollos is the better Bible teacher. No, 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 Paul. What do you think they've done in the process of that? They've also begun to slander these teachers. See, they've also begun to say, well, you know, Paul says a lot, but he doesn't live the way he says he lives. And he doesn't behave. And, he, you know, he tells us we have to do this, but I heard Paul was doing this. And part of what Timothy's coming is, is to remind them and say, no, 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 no. What Paul says, he lives. I've been on the road with this man. I've lived with this man. And I am telling you, he is blameless and he is not a hypocrite. He is the man he says he is. He is coming to remind you that I live this way of life that I've asked you to live. And I think that's what that part of Timothy coming is. It's a great question, though. Okay, we're good? All right. Hey, and uh, we have finished chapter 4. So we are cruising at uh, breakneck speed. <clears throat> We've, it was taking us 10 weeks to get through chapter 4. So there you go. All right, chapter 5. This gets interesting because the first issue in the church, remember we said one of the things that we're going to learn and one thing that's going to be so valuable learning 1 Corinthians is these guys are so messed up. This is the most messed up church in the New Testament. And we just got through problem one. Problem one is there's all this bickering, there's all this infighting, there's all this jealousy, there's all this kind of hero worship going on uh, in the church. Now we're going to get to issue number two as if issue number one wasn't bad enough. Okay, here we go. Issue number two in the Corinthian church. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. The word here, just so you guys know, is the word pornea in the Greek. Anybody want to take a wild guess at what word we have that comes from the word pornea? Yeah, it's pornea, nia, and we get pornography. But here's what you need to know. Pornea, or sexual immorality in Scripture, really is a broad term. It means more than just one thing. Matter of fact, it really, in many ways, just simply means any type of sexual sin. Okay? Pornea, just any type of sexual sin, which means then it would include what types of sins? Incest. What else would it include? 
homosexuality, adultery, huh? Rape, promiscuity, okay, fornication. And actually, what's going to happen, here's what you need to know is, that word fornication, which is a Bible word, okay? We, I mean, when's the last time we walked up and said, look, you fornicator, I mean... You and I don't use it, but what you need to know is that in the Bible, it is this word. This is the word that's going to get translated fornication a whole bunch within the Bible. And it simply means, again, sexual sin. And when it says fornication, what you need to know is it's saying sexual sin of any kind. It's the broad category. It is any type of sexual sin when it says fornication, or in this case, does some of your Bibles say fornication in them? Some of the older translations might. Okay. Um, but it includes all this. So it includes premarital sex. It includes anything that is of a sexual sin that can be committed. So here we go. Let's go back. Uh, verse 1 again. It's actually reported that there is sexual sin, pornea, among you, and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. So it's saying, look, you guys, you guys are a church, and you guys have got stuff going on in the church that's not even happening with people who don't know God. And here's what was going on. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud of it. Now, in all likelihood, this is not his mother. Uh, some Bible scholars are going to come back and say that it is. I, I'm pretty sure if it was his mother, Scripture would just say that, because, I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be serious at that point, and I think Scripture would just really nail that one down. I think the chances are this is either a remarriage on the part of his father. In that culture, it's possible his father had multiple wives. and now. But apparently what this young man has done is he has gone and he has courted this woman who was a wife to his father, and he has run off with her. And his story is probably, hey, you know what? Dad was a bad guy, and he was hard on her, and so there's a reason. And, and now he's in church, and he's in church with his father's wife attending services. And he's telling everybody, this is okay. Because you, you got to understand, my dad was a bad guy. My dad was a jerk. And I mean, you don't, you don't want to know how bad my dad was to her. And so, you know, it, it's understandable. And he's in the church. And you are proud of it, it says. Hey, how do you, how do you get proud of something like this? Isn't that interesting? How do you get proud of something like this? You ever seen a church that had sin in the church and yet was proud of it? Okay. Microphones. In, in some churches whereby they do, but I'm not being a, I'm not being judgmental, whereby they do stuff that is not right. It goes against the Bible whereby maybe the leading pastor has several wives. And they're proud of it because they say in the Bible, they, some of them use the Bible and they say somebody like Abraham had so many wives. So I think sometimes some people use the Bible to, um, to support what they're doing and they're so proud of it, according to me. Okay. Can this also go hand in hand with um, churches that are accepting of social norms? that are against the Bible, such as homosexuality. You know, we'll have a homosexual pastor. Okay. Because, and they're proud of it because now we're accepting of all people, even though it's in sin. See, we're, we're being loving. 
and we're being, we're being non-judgmental. So I think that's possible. And, and haven't you seen those? Have you you've heard of those churches or been around those churches? Matter of fact, I don't know if you guys heard, but recently there's a Lutheran church. I can't even remember the name. It's up in northern Phoenix that just voted to remove themselves from, and I, I'm going to get in trouble, a certain part of the Lutheran ELCA because they were ordaining homosexual priests for the Lutheran church. And they said, we're just not going to do that. And I, I wanted to say, proud of you. Proud of you. Right thing to do. But I guarantee you there are churches within their denomination that are saying, no, no, this is just about open arms. This is just about being accepting and gracious. And they'd be proud of that. Like, if you were... I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay, so you're not proud of what you're doing, but you have to pretend like you are so that you don't have to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be. Ever been around or ever heard of a church where the senior pastor fails? And now the church is in a dilemma. What do we do because our senior pastor has failed? He's done, he's done something clearly unbiblical. But maybe he's an incredible personality and maybe he's got a lot of charisma. And, and so he stands up on Sunday and says, hey, you know what I did? I failed. I messed up. I shouldn't have looked at that or I shouldn't have been with her, whatever it is. And I, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And then he wants to be the pastor again three weeks later. And all of a sudden the church starts having this discussion about, well, do we forgive him? And if we forgive him, then... And it was just one time. And matter of fact, I want. There was a church, and I won't, won't do any names together. But literally, their pastor came back in, had gone. He'd been away on a trip. Came back, said, "Hey, while I was gone, I visited a massage parlor, and it was one of those massage parlors. And uh, I, I felt bad about it. I needed to tell you about this." And the elders got together, and they said, "Well, you're going to have to step down for a while." He came back about five, six weeks later, said, "I'm ready to be the pastor again." The elders said, "No, you're not ready to be the pastor again." So he stood up on Sunday and he says, I'm handing in my resignation because this is a church that doesn't have any grace. And you guys don't understand forgiveness. And so I'm going down the road and I'm going to start another church next Sunday. And anybody here who's a loving Christian, come with me. And half the church went. And I've got a feeling they were proud. Because they were the forgiving, grace-giving Christians. See, sometimes it's possible to be proud in our sin. Let's go back to the passage. So I think the passage is going to shed a little bit of light on what should have happened. Verse 2. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed... What's the next word? Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Paul says, I'm not even there and I have passed judgment. What did we say about judgment? I cannot judge what? I cannot judge. I cannot judge a heart. And what else can I not judge? The quality of someone's service. In other words, I can't say to somebody, boy, if I had as much money as you, I would have given more than you. I can't do that. That's not... 
he, that person is God's servant and they serve unto God. They don't serve unto me. I cannot do that. But what can I judge? Actions in accordance, whoops, actions in accordance with what? Scripture. Why is Paul okay judging this? Because why? Okay, because it's an action that is clearly out of alignment with Scripture. And remember we said it's okay to be a fruit inspector. Remember that? And he's just inspecting this as, look, I don't have to be, are you kidding me? I don't have to be there. How many verses do you want on this? This is wrong. And, and it doesn't belong in the church. Don't, no, 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 no. I, I have no problem judging this. This is bad fruit. Okay? Fruit inspecting, you have to. Matter of fact, in this passage, the church is actually being rebuked for not judging this moment. For not discerning this moment. I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that... The sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. What's he saying? I mean, that's, that's, I don't know about you. That sounds a little on the harsh side to me. Just a little. What's he saying? I'm just guessing, but maybe he's saying, um, leave this person to be really humiliated by the devil. Hopefully, after he's being humiliated by the devil, he will turn back and come back. Okay, possibly. To punish him in the flesh so that the spirit can be saved. Okay. So he's, he says, first off, set him out of the church. Don't have him in the church. And he says, so that, okay, so that he can go do whatever he's going to do in following Satan, even if it leads to what? Death. Even if it leads to death. But his spirit will be saved. Now, why does he say that? But his spirit will be saved. Isn't that interesting? Um, isn't it kind of like the prodigal son? He just had to let him go and let him get down to the deepest where he was alone. And then he came back just full of repentance and the father kind of opened his arms to him. But the son had to go down to the darkest depths first. So is that yeah. what it's saying? Or? Yeah, I think, I think what he's saying, he's saying, look, because of the path this guy's chosen is so radically defiant. It is so openly and publicly just, this isn't. Hey, I'm not sure I agree on a verse with you. This guy knows. He knows. And as a matter of fact, not only does he know, he's, he's, he's just proud of what he's doing in sin. And so he says, look, just let, kind of like the product, let him go. Let him go do. And one of two things hopefully is going to happen. One is, is that he comes to a place of repentance. That he just says, look, I, I am way off track here. Or the other option, he says, is this guy just goes off the deep end. This guy just goes crazy on us, even to the point of what? Living his life right up unto death. I have a question back yeah. a little bit. Is the word for judgment in this passage different than the word for judgment where it tells us not to judge? Same word. Same word. And again, the difference is, remember when it says, don't judge, don't judge lest you be judged by the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. It also says, do not judge the heart of man, for who knows the heart of man except God. So what we've done is we've, we've 
messed up those passages and used them errantly when we say don't judge. You and I don't have any right to say you're a better Christian than you are or you're a better servant of God than he is. I can't do that. And that's, that's the part in the early part of the scripture that Paul's saying, who made you judge? How dare you judge who's a better Christian and who loves God more? You don't know people's hearts. But what you and I are constantly asked to do is observe action. And to be able to say, hey, that action is in absolute disobedience to Scripture. And I have no problem saying that action is inappropriate. Okay? And, again, that's getting back to fruit inspecting. You and I... Guys, you know what's really... Let's, let's just be honest. We do this every day. You do this with your children, right? Don't, don't you judge the actions of your children constantly? That is inappropriate. You will not do that in this house. Right? And that's all that... What is the church? It's a big family. So how different is it within the church to say, hey, look, no, 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 that's inappropriate. It's completely unbiblical. You cannot do that in this house. It's the church. It's the family. And you and I are called not to let sin go unchecked in the family. Yep. I have a question. I actually left a church in the ELCA because of this homosexuality issue. Um, and it was very difficult because you don't want to judge. And there, it was a very fine line. People were f- fighting one part of the Bible to another part of the Bible. And this verse versus that verse. When you see that the wrong is going on and you leave the church because you can't remove that, that sin, how... How do you repair the body? Okay, so ask that to me differently. What body do you want to repair? Well, the body of the church, because we're supposed to come together as a community. But when Mm -hmm. the, I mean, in some ways, this particular instance with the ELCA, they cut off their nose despite their face. Right. So how do you, how do you, where is it that you draw the line where you're not saying, well, this preacher's better because he isn't ELC for this sake of argument, isn't ELCA where this one is. And see, I, 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 I would hope we would never get in that part of the conversation. It, matter of fact, I, I, how many of you guys know who Martin Luther was? Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not. Martin Luther started out as a Catholic priest. Martin Luther spent his entire life writing about how the Catholic church had gotten off base biblically. And what he had to spend his entire life saying was, do I stay in the Catholic Church and try to fix it from the inside? Or do I leave the Catholic Church as a statement of how wrong I believe they are? And I think that's a tension that anybody who gets in the situation that you're describing where you go, wow, I've got leadership or I've got people who are making decisions that I think, I think now, and here's the, here's the issue, it's not preference, it's not what color the drapes are, it's not how many songs we sing on Sunday, but I think we're getting off base biblically. I think we're potentially doing something right now that clearly violates Scripture. Not preference, but Scripture. And then you and I end up in the dilemma that says, do I stay in... And kind of fight from the inside and try to leverage my influence from the inside? Or do I leave as a way of making a statement and trying to wake some people up? And so that's why I, I think it's really hard to go after 
people who stay in a movement like that and whose hearts truly are, I'm trying to turn them around from the inside. I, I acknowledge they're wrong. I'm just, I, I just don't know that leaving is going to help them, and that's how they feel about that. I also acknowledge there are some people who say, I think we're so far off biblically, I'm not sure God can bless anymore. I'm not sure God can keep his hand on us anymore. I need to go somewhere where I feel like God's going to have freedom because we're not practicing something that's unbiblical and have the blessing. And I think there's legitimacy to both arguments. I'm surely not, you know, again, now I think you're judging inappropriately because I think both of them are legitimate stances. I really, really are. I think the wrong stance is to say it's unbiblical and who cares? Well, then that's, that's a bad stance. But I can't throw rocks at the guy who stays inside or at the guy who leaves. They both, they both were trying for change. They both were saying, this is unbiblical. Okay? I will tell you, for me personally, there is a line, if I was in a group of people, that I would, I would leave. I would just say, I, I think we're so far off the Bible now, I'm not sure God can bless us anymore. And guys, every group is going to have mistakes, and every group is going to have flaws. But when you get to the point you start going, man, I'm, I'm not sure God can bless anymore, then I'm going to, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go somewhere I think God can bless. But I'm not going to throw rocks at the ones that stay in and try to change it from the inside. And I don't know if you know the story or not. Martin Luther never left the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church kicked Martin Luther out. He wanted to stay and change it from the inside. That was his heart on the deal. Okay, let's, let's get down just a little further and may open up a few more questions. So he says, hey, send away, send more of Satan so that uh, by his sinful nature he may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Let, let me... Here's what I think happens sometimes, guys. I think there are individuals who get so wrapped up in their sin and so arrogant in their sin and so unwilling to listen to any input from someone else. And I believe that that's probably what Paul is describing in this moment. That you finally have to say, I, I've got to leave you to your own devices. So whether you're the prodigal son and we're going to wait to see if you get to the bottom, get to the pigsty and turn around... Or it's possible that God would just say, "Where well, I'm done wrestling with you. Time to come home. How many, how, how many of you guys have heard me tell my story about my youth pastor? When I grew, okay, a bunch of us. So I'll do it real quick. My youth pastor, who I grew up with, probably one of the most godly men. I owe tons of my walk with Jesus to Wayne. Uh, we had kids who came to our youth group just to be around Wayne. Wayne ended up, his wife ended up leaving him. He went through a divorce. Wayne got desperately angry at God. He just completely did a 180 on God and really said, I'm just going to do whatever I can to hurt God's heart. I hate God that he let my family fall apart. Wayne did everything. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything on the list that Wayne did not do. Literally, just flipping God off. That was his... I'm just going to flip God off. To the point that he ended up being a homosexual prostitute and died of AIDS. It was interesting as you watched Wayne's life, especially he'd get on fire for God for a little while and then he'd just crash and he'd get hateful and mean and then he'd get tried and back again and then he'd get hateful and mean. And I, I don't know, but... I. My best guess, my best guess, that was God just saying, hey, Wayne, we're done with the wrestling match. We're, we're done. 
why don't you just come home? We're done. I think that's what he's describing here. That there are Christians who get so off track, so hateful toward God, so steeped in rebellion that there's times when God just says, okay, let's, let's just stop the tug of war. Why don't you just come on home? We'll call it even. We'll call it done. I think that's what Paul's describing here. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. You talked about how that applies to a mature believer doing the wrong thing. As a leader, how do you, uh, how much slack do you give a new believer? Yeah, that's a great question. So here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's toss this back out in here. So we just looked at a passage here where it says, hey, here's a Christian in the church. And they're saying he's living a bad lifestyle. He's living a sinful lifestyle. Kick him out. You and I are in a church where tons and tons and tons of people come in this room. And you and I know darn well they're not living well. Right? We, we've got, let's be honest, we've got couples that are living together. Right? We've got people who are out involved in all sorts of habits that aren't God-reflecting. And yet you and I say to them, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You can come here and you can be safe and you can take your time and you can figure God out. And nobody's going to reject you and no one's going to beat you up. How's that possible? How, how, is, how does that line up with what you and I just read here? Isn't that an interesting question? And matter of fact, a bunch of the people in this room, I would guess, would say, man, Lynn, I mean, boy, if you knew what I was doing when I first came to Cornerstone, I mean, you might have thrown me out. And the answer is no, we wouldn't have. We would have never thrown you out. And we, we would have never beat you up over that. So how does that line up with what we just read together? Isn't that a great question? Okay, so let's try and process it. All right. All right, microphoners, run. Okay. Yeah, well, let me just, I'll ask a question and come back to, uh, was, does this verse support the once saved, always saved? So if someone's a backslidden Christian and you're saying here that throw him out, he's physically going to die, let's say, but on that day he will be saved. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a pretty powerful verse supporting the idea of once saved, always saved. Because here's a guy who's so deeply in sin that Paul is saying he can't even be allowed in the church and we're going to turn him over to Satan so he can be killed. But, oh, by the way, he's still going to heaven. That's a pretty powerful verse on eternal security. Right? Okay. All right, so let's get back to how can this passage say this and how can you and I be a church that says to people, it's okay. It's okay. All right. I think it's about a willingness to change and learn as opposed to being proud and like, I've got Mm. it figured out and blah, blah, blah. And we tell people, come here, learn what you need to learn. Mm. And we'll help you figure out where you're going as opposed to someone who's proud of it and has got it Mm. figured out and doesn't need any help. That's a great insight. What else? Um, So I think I've come here, you know, a bunch of times. And one time in particular, somebody said something to the effect of, shouldn't we have a class to make people members of the church? And I believe your answer was that you do. So to the point when you're coming, you're just coming here, you're not a member yet, you're learning, you haven't really made that formal step to say, I accept Christ into my life, and so therefore you're not really a member of the church yet, right? So you're, when you're allowed to judge, you're judging other members 
of your family, of the church. Okay. Right? So before you get to that point, you're just someone who is, you know, is you got to have a flock to herd, so. Okay. No, I think that's good. Maybe the line. I think there's. To me, um, it's about how Jesus lived. He didn't go out there to save all the people who are in the church. He went to get those who are hurting outside the church and bring them in to teach them. So that's how we're supposed to do it, and that turn people away who are suffering. Okay. I think this was a well-known thing that was happening in the church. This wasn't just something where someone was coming in and... Uh, you know, somebody new to the church. This was well known, and um, this person wasn't repentant. I think that's the issue. Okay. Isn't it a, an issue of willful disobedience as well? So, as a mature believer, if you know what is right and yet you're choosing willfully to disobey, um, I think it's an issue that's a little different than as a new believer, you're still trying to figure out a little bit, you know, what is God's will in my life and how do I apply that? You know, when Jesus approached the, the prostitute, you know, he didn't, you know, he, he forgave her, but then he said, go and sit no more. He didn't say, continue to do what you want to do. Right. This is hard stuff, isn't it? This is not easy. As a matter of fact, here's the reality, guys, is that churches stumble over this all the time, which is why it's good for you and me to be unpacking this, because God forbid that you and I as a church ever have to deal with anything like this. But, well, maybe your friend's church does, right? Um, Somewhere, this, this is real life. What do you do when somebody within the body has fallen and has fallen deeply? How should the church respond? And is it okay for a church like ours to say to people who really aren't living very Christ-like lives to say, it's okay, come on in, you can sit in the room, you can have the conversation with us. Nobody is going to judge you and no one's going to beat you up over it. And it's okay if it takes you a year and it's okay if it takes you two years to figure this out. Is that okay for us to do as a church? Or should we be cutting them out? I was just going to say it's like a child. Uh, we're expecting a child to, you know, like drive a car or something like that where they're not, uh, right. they're not trained. They're not, uh, you know, if they're coming here to learn or to seek, then we're, you know, we shouldn't judge them based upon our knowledge or our, you know, a mature Christian kind of a... Right. So if you're a baby Christian, I should expect you to act like a baby Christian. If you're a person who doesn't know Jesus yet, I should expect you to act like a person who doesn't know Jesus yet. Yeah. It's just like when Jesus goes to the lepers and he goes and he heals the guys of the leper, but everybody around him don't want to touch him except for Jesus. That's just like coming to church is that we're all coming in together, you know, either with a disease or something or being different to join as one as God wants us to. And sometimes people can't see past there, can't be before because they judge us by our size, our weight, or money instead of judging us what's actually inside of us when he wants us to grow because every day is a growing day when God wants us to go with us. Okay. I think you're right. I think it also lead us, leads us to that it's okay to come and learn, but it also leads us to the responsibility that it's our responsibility to tell you that that is wrong okay. as opposed to just saying, come, come for five years and... Just sit in a purple chair, you know, right. as opposed to saying, no, it's wrong and you need to change. Okay, so let me, let me throw some questions out that maybe will help us get there. How, how many people in the room would say, Lynn, I think Jesus hung out with sinners? How many people would say that? 
How many people would say, matter of fact, I, I think that may be one of the most remarkable things of his ministry, that he got the biggest criticism from a bunch of Pharisees was that he hung out with sinners. How many would say that? And now it looks like Paul is saying, don't hang out with a sinner. Cut the sinner out of the room. So let's ask this question. What is different about this situation? Why would Paul be saying, this is different This isn't just hanging out with sinners and allowing them to figure out God. This is different. Okay, let's tackle it from that direction. Yeah. I think it's because in this situation, the the sinner in question is somebody who has claimed to be a Christ follower. Okay. And that the uh, group of people that he's in are claiming to be Christ followers and are being accepting of his behavior. Okay. As opposed to the people Jesus was around who, in many cases, were ostracized as being on the outside. Okay, so good point. And let's, let me read you a couple more passages here because I think it's going to uh, verify that. Here's what it says. Um, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Um... Okay, that's going to get further than I want to go. Okay, so we'll we'll stop right there. Okay. I just have a quick question for clarification. Was the gentleman that he's talking about, was he a leader within the church, or is he just a member of the church? You know, we don't know, and that's a great question, because why is that a great question? Why is it a great question, is he a leader? Who are we giving it to? Okay. Yes. All right. Why is it a great question? Is he a leader? Well, that's not. I wasn't going to answer that. I was okay. trying to say something before. I think we got to look at it that we're a hospital. That doesn't mean that we allow it all, but we're a hospital. And we come in, and the person who comes in needs medicine or needs surgery, and we have to give time. There will come a time when the person, like, says he needs to be get out. But I think we can't judge it right away. But if we feel that the church is a hospital and we're coming in to get fed, and at the same time receive the medicine, each individual. And I said it last week. About choices. Mm-hmm. We give them choices. And go on and go on and feed and feed. Hey, the Lord will let us know when it's time. Like he was, Paul, through the Lord, was telling him to give him over to Satan so he can be saved at the end. Okay. All right, so let me come back to the question. I want to ask it again. Why is it important to ask that question, is he a leader? Why? Um, it's important to ask that because you guys show yourselves as a leader of the church and showing that we should be an example, just like how Paul is to Timothy to Timothy to other people as well. But I think that, <clears throat> I guess it does matter if he's a leader or not, but also the simple fact that even if he wasn't, it shows that he, it says right here in uh, five two that you're proud and arrogant. You're like showing that off that you're with the, uh, you know, dad's wife or whatever. So he's actually showing that to everybody else in kind of not keeping it a secret. I mean, it's a sin regardless if it's a secret or not, but he's like boasting over the fact that, yes, I'm doing this and I'm doing it in the church and what are you going to do about it, kind of. Okay. All right. So, okay, go ahead. And then I'm going to save you. All right. I'm thinking it's just if you're putting yourself in that position and calling yourself a leader, then you should be, you know, knowing that you're doing the right thing on the inside anyway or don't, don't put yourself there. Why is, it, why is it crucial that leaders live to a higher standard? Because of the influence. Because of the influence. 
So let's just be, guys, if, if, if you heard tomorrow that I went to really, really sexual movies, I stand up on the stage and I brag about all these, these really movies. <laughs> and that goes unchecked. What is that, what, what is that statement going to say to the rest of the church? Oh, it's okay. I mean, if the pastor does, because here's, here's, here's what everyone figures. Everyone figures the pastor is so holy that if I could just am half as holy as the pastor, then I'm okay. Leaders are held to a higher standard. And you've got to be careful that those that are in leadership are living lives that are good examples because if, if we live bad examples publicly, then it gives permission to everybody else to live that same way. Okay, so let me see if I can help you with why this is a problem here. and why. So here's the question we're landing. Why is it okay to be a church that lets people come in who aren't living? Well, guys, let's just be honest. In our church, we figure on any given Sunday, 20% of our church doesn't know Jesus. 20% of the people in this room don't know Jesus on any given Sunday. And people who don't know Jesus live like people who don't know Jesus. That's how they live. Okay, it may surprise you, but people who don't know Jesus live like people who don't know Jesus, which is why if all of a sudden someone comes in, they go, did you see what that lady is wearing? And I go, no. And why are you looking? But people that don't know Jesus live like people who don't know Jesus. That's what they do. And we figure another 20% of our congregation on any given Sunday are baby Christians. They've just come to know the Lord probably here in the last year. And baby Christians are going to live like baby Christians. That's what they're going to do. And so are you going to find some really sloppy lives? Yeah, you're going to find some really sloppy lives at Cornerstone. You just will. And we have said, hey, it's okay. It's okay to be here and figure out God and to grow and to do this. So why is this different? And I think you and I had the answer in the passage. Let's go back. Verse 2. And you are proud of it. See, somewhere this guy had been accepted into the church. He'd been welcomed in. Whether that was, hey, we're going to be grace-filled or we're going to be all these things. But here's what it was happening. His example, and I don't know if he was a leader or not, but he surely was noticeable. And his example was changing the culture of the church. And now part of the church was saying, this is okay. And he was steering the church to move away from biblical value. See, here's the thing. We've got lots of baby Christians in the room and they're not living very good lives, but at the end of the day, they're not steering the church, right? They're not setting the standard for how we're going to live. So we're okay. And it's okay to have lots of baby Christians and young Christians and Christians who are struggling as long as they're not setting the culture of the church. But this guy was setting the culture. This guy was leading people into confusion. This guy, because he was the church, was becoming proud of the fact that they were so accepting. It'd be like if we all of a sudden said, hey, we're going to have homosexuals on staff, and we were proud of it. Then Paul would say, no, 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 no. The culture of the church is now moving away from biblical value. Does that make sense? That's why this is a problem. Years and years ago, I was serving in a church. And we had a gal who got uh, divorced. She was in the process of getting divorced from her husband. And she was actually seeing another woman's husband in the church. Okay? Now, guys, that's bad. That's bad. But let's be honest. It's probably not any worse than things that 
you and I have heard about going on in people's lives even here. Here's why this was different. This was different because she began to go around the church and tell all her friends why it was okay. And we actually had other ladies in the church coming and defending her and telling us why it was okay that she had left her husband to now go run off and cavort with this other woman's husband in the church. And we had to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you are either going to acknowledge that that is wrong or you're not going to be able to come to church anymore because you are now changing the culture of our church. You are moving Christians off of biblical value and confusing them about how to be obedient to God. And we can't let that happen in the church. Does that make sense? So whether she was an official leader or not, she was leading people astray. Does that make sense? Let's, let me give you another example. You have a singles group. And in that singles group, you've got a guy in there. And now he's coming in and he's bedding down all the women in the singles group. What do you want me to do? Well, you want me to go to him and say, you're not going to do that with our women. Because you are now changing the culture of our singles group. And you are wreaking sin in our house. And you're not going to do that. Okay? It's okay for you to struggle in this area of your life, but you're not going to come in here and damage others. We're not going to let you do that. You get the difference? This man was damaging others. He was leading others astray. And Paul says, how in the world are you tolerating that in the church? Don't you dare. So it's okay, guys. So here's the part. Here's the balance. It's okay to be here and be broken. It's okay to be here and figuring out God. It's okay to be here and not agree with everything. It's okay. It's okay. But don't you be here and be leading other people into sin. Don't you be here and be dragging other people down. Because at that point, then we have to, we have to go, look, you can't do that. You're not going to be here blowing other people's lives up. You can't do that. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. You scared me for a minute. All right. Where are we at on time? And what time are we supposed to stop? Oh, well, then that tells me where we are on time. Okay. So this is, this was the last night tonight before we take a break. The break is how long, Mike? You make that sound so long. The rest of this year, that's two weeks. All right. Yep. January 4th. And here's the deal, guys, just, just to whet your appetite a little bit. The next verse talks about, is this incredible passage about Jesus being the Passover lamb. I wish we could have gotten it to it, because I think it would have made Christmas really, really cool. But there, I, think, I think it's a remarkable verse that we're going to have a chance to unpack together next time that I, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with. So I would encourage you, if you have any way of doing it, be back here for January 4th, right? When we come back together. Let's pray real quick. We'll be done. Thank you, guys. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you tonight. And God, would you help us as Cornerstone to be that church that is just dead on on this topic? That we would always be that place that says, look, we get it. We get that perfect people don't walk in this door. And we get that you're in process with God. And nobody here is going to throw you away because your life is not together. We will not judge you and we will not do that. But on the other side, God, that if we have people who, through their lifestyle are leading other people astray and are damaging the body and wounding other Christians, 
that in those moments we'd have the discernment and the courage to step up and just simply say, look, you can't do that here. You cannot ruin and wound and hurt others here because part of this being a safe place is not letting you damage. So God, help us to walk that line well in reflection of Jesus Christ. And this we ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tackling a hard topic.